Okay, I think we're live. Namaste and welcome everyone to the Bharat Vartha Weekly. Plenty of interesting news and events this week. From Twitter refusing to comply with the new IT rules to Tata Digital acquiring a majority stake in Big Basket to external affair uh, minister S Jayashankar's visit to the US uh, and then EU, US, Japan and the Australia probing the origins of the virus and of course Prime Minister Modi's fund for orphan children. Uh, very interesting stuff to cover in the next 30 minutes. Uh, so with me, I have Ashish and Vatsa, your guests on the on the weekly. Hey, Ashish. Hey, Vatsa. How are you guys? Hi, Gary. Hi, Gary. So let's uh, start off as usual by talking about the episodes that uh, we put out last week. Uh, so the one on second wave was uh, very comprehensive and in- insightful, uh, I thought. I think uh, Anil has a very balanced perspective on these things. Uh, and we saw it from many different uh, uh, angles, right? Uh, from the federalism angle, from the healthcare infrastructure and services angle, uh, to the politics uh, angle. And I think it's a it's a must watch for anyone interested in a reasonable discussion on you know what what really happened and how we're coping with this uh, pandemic, right? Um, what's our what do you uh, what do you think about the Manindra Agarwal one? I think it, for me it was a it was a great episode. He uh... He actually kind of reminded me of someone, I think even Ashish would know, uh, Professor Ashish Chatterjee, in the way he uh, communicated with equations, right? It's a very difficult thing to do. Did a great job of it. And what it also showed is that it was not just about the math. And I mean, the way he spoke about reinfections, vaccinations, uh, something around the health infrastructure, how people isolated themselves and so on, shows that he has a you know far deeper understanding of the overall COVID problem than just looking at it as a purely sort of academic exercise. I think that that's what uh, stood out for me. Right. Uh, you have to watch that, but uh, I think I'll watch that today. Uh, Ashish, uh, the cancer detection one with the, the Tripathi brothers was, uh, again, very insightful and uh, engaging as well, I would say. Right. Both of them are very good speakers. Yes, uh, absolutely a wonderful episode. The, the discovery itself, carry is quite significant, right? If things go well for them, uh, they have made a blood test-based cancer detection. And it's not just detection, it is also prognosis. So the, the test can tell you that you may or may not get cancer in the near future. They, they'll come up with a scoring kind of an algorithm, which will tell you that uh, if your score is in certain range, then there's no risk of cancer. But if it exceeds that, uh, that that number, then you uh, you may be exposed to cancer in some point, at some point of time, and it also tells you the stage for those who already have cancer. It, it tells you the stage of the cancer, right? So it's stage one, two, three, four. So I mean, it's a it's a wonderful uh, concept, and if it works well, then this could completely revolutionize the way cancer is uh, treat, uh, treated in India. I mean, it's a great financial burden and a great social. Uh, uh, discord reason right that the way it, way it currently uh, works in not just in india but even in other countries so they are quite passionate about this the the impact is uh, is humongous and the discussion really covered all those aspects and some of their personal experiences around uh, building this new product and taking it to the market so i really enjoyed doing this conversation yeah all of them stellar episodes uh, do check out the episodes on the covid-19 second wave uh, Sutra, which is uh, Professor Manindra Agarwal's uh, model to predict the second uh, uh, wave trajectory. And of course, uh, the early cancer detection uh, episode with Anish and Ashish Tripathi. Uh, these are available on all platforms. Do check it out. Uh, 
All right. The first piece of news for this week: Twitter has refused to comply with the new IT rules. Uh, they have not only refused; they have also attempted to dictate their own terms uh, to the IT department. Uh, the center stated that they were, to quote, seeking to undermine India's legal system. The government also said Twitter representatives in India routinely claim that they have no authority and that they and the people of India need to escalate everything to, to the Twitter headquarters in the U.S. The government accused Twitter of having opaque policies, arbitrarily, arbitrarily deleting tweets and suspending people's accounts. They also cited examples of taking several days to remove, uh, you know, certain locations in POK as part of China and other examples. Uh, Ashish, it was. I thought it was a very well articulated, strongly worded letter, right? Uh, your thoughts on the situation? Yeah, uh, it's it's a little uh, uh, unfortunate that Twitter has not really complied with the rules which were framed in Feb. There was a chance also to talk about these rules and discuss these rules for the last three months, right? And although I mean, let's say a month has been lost due to the wave two of the pandemic, but there was in- enough time in March to to initiate those discussions. Seven other platforms have actually complied. So Facebook, WhatsApp, LinkedIn, ShareChat, Telegram, uh, uh, and a couple of other platforms, Coo being one of them. And uh, so, so they they already compliant with with these rules. So this is not really a a, a freedom of speech uh, type of a problem, right? Which Twitter is trying to portray it. Uh, freedom of speech, first of all, the way it is defined in the U.S. or in Germany or in U.K. or in India will be quite different from each other. It's not a uniform global concept uh, because the, the definitions are constrained in respective constitution uh, uh, provisions, right? So that that anyway is not like a uniform uh, interpretation which Twitter can make on behalf of a country. It, it will vary from country to country. You can argue that the quality of the definition can change, but that's not really. Uh, I mean, un- that that's not really a, a reason to for what Twitter to not comply. What to, what today's definition is, right? Twitter is not responsible for improving or changing a law of a country. So that's a different debate in terms of what should or should not be classified as freedom of speech in India via we let's say some other country. Uh, we had discussed this, uh, I think when one of the weeklies when the laws came out and we uh, had a full episode on this uh, in late Feb, where Neha Joshi uh, and I had uh, discussed, carried this along with you on how these rules are going to impact uh, Indian social media landscape. So, uh, it is very clear that Twitter wants to make this an ideological battle. Uh, for other platforms, it's probably more commercial battle. It's not a, a ideological battle per se. At least at, on the face of it, they've agreed to create the the institutions which are, I mean, institutions in the sense of belonging to their own companies, which is the compliance framework, nodal officers, grievance officers, all of that. But but uh, Twitter made a very wishy-washy statement around uh, what what they were trying to do. And uh, as for the tweets of some journalists, the Twitter MD uh, in India, he has uh, he he made it sound like he was the MD of Twitter Communications India Private Limited and not not which did not belong to the main main Twitter platform. I mean, his argument was that the Indian subsidiary was essentially a sales unit. So even if he was an MD of a, a company in India, it was essentially responsible for getting sales revenue for Twitter. Which, by the way. If that is the case, I mean that entity hasn't done a great job because the Indian sales are pretty low, uh, the as, as a as, I mean, relative to the Twitter's global revenue. But uh, I mean, it certainly doesn't reflect the the strength of the user base in India, which is close to five percent of Twitter's global uh, monthly active users. So, uh, but uh, it, it's been generally been quite wishy-washy that way, the, the way they've approached this problem. And uh, 
I think government seems quite determined at the stage to take them on. So let's see how how it evolves. But a uh, little unfortunate because ultimately, I mean, if the tech companies behave in a supranational type uh, uh, way, uh, that it's it, uh, this problem will keep going on. And I think com- like eventually, like there will be other platforms. You you cannot escape the fact that the platforms will keep also keep changing. I mean, Twitter is strong today, but may not be the case if five years down the line. Who knows? Uh, something else may come up. So this is not about government or uh, you know which parties in the government, etc. I think this is a broader debate around uh, a country's sovereignty versus uh, a platform trying to assert itself. So uh, I, I hope the national sovereignty prevails not just in India but in other countries as well. Yeah, no, it's a great point, and uh, I really liked what uh, uh, Shridhar Vembu said about this. Right? I mean, likened them to the East India Company. I think. Uh, you know, uh, really uh, trying to plunder our resources and not really investing in the ecosystem. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, in some exciting news, Tata Digital has acquired a majority stake in Big Basket with an investment of two hundred nineteen million dollars. This purchase would pitch the conglomerate against established heavyweights such as Amazon, Reliance Industries, and Walmart. Big Basket's largest shareholders, uh, Chinese internet giant Alibaba. Uh, group and private equity firm Actis have fully exited the company. Uh, Said so a person who was aware of the deal. Big Basket operates in more than 30 cities, uh, offering a grocery assortment of uh, over 50,000 stockkeeping units, probably more than that, uh, and over 15 million customer orders each month. Uh, it operates a farm-to-fork supply chain with a network of more than 12,000 farmers. What's uh, I mean, it's been a real lifesaver for us during the pandemic, right? So. Uh, what do you think? Uh, how do you think that this is going to change things? And also, what could be the significance for the Indian startup ecosystem? Right. So, I think I mean they they've had tremendous tailwinds, definitely, thanks to the pandemic, and they've kind of ramped up and scaled up very very impressively. Right. Uh, they had a bit of a challenge initially when some of their employees moved out during the lockdown and so on, but they've again managed to scale and even in this uh, second set of lockdowns they've done a great job uh, catering to the customers uh, so i mean just to give an idea you know the grocery market in india will be around 850 billion dollars in 2024 uh, just about 5% of that would be over 40 billion dollars and today big basket is doing you know 1.1 billion dollars so that just tells you you know how big and how exciting this space can be uh, in the coming years, right? And we are definitely seeing changes in customer behavior. So more and more people will definitely start uh, buying groceries online. Uh, Big Basket deserves a lot of credit for changing the way we think about essentials. uh, And then, you know, looking at something like BB Daily, whereby you could order stuff every other day and so on. So they've definitely disrupted that entire uh, system. Uh, you mentioned Alibaba and Actis. So they held about 47% stake. Uh, some of the other smaller investors have also left, right? What has kind of surprised me is the speed at which you know the deal has taken place. Uh, the first announcement we heard was in Feb. Uh, and then very quickly, Tata Group moved and they got the competition uh, commission's approval in April. And then in May, we uh, made Tata Digital, which is going to you know hold a stake in Big Basket, got a 10,000 crore boost from the parent company. So it's pretty much taken three months for the entire thing to be done. So 
that, that's a that's a great thing now in terms of implications uh, i think one good thing that has happened is you know the chinese money has moved out of big basket as it is moving out slowly from the indian startup ecosystem i think we'll become a more atmanirbhar ecosystem in that sense instead of relying on capital from abroad and you know running companies out of india we are slowly getting to a stage where you know the investors will also be from india uh, so if the early investors are from india they'll probably exit with you know greater profits and uh, bigger investors can then move in so that kind of creates you know uh, an ecosystem where we'll have investors entering startups at different stages so I, i'm personally really excited about uh, this part right so and it also kind of reduces uh some of the risk in terms of policy if, if we have like an unfriendly country like china from where money is coming in and all that right so that, that that's another positive uh i think for tata digital it's it's kind of a great thing because uh let's be honest i mean their ventures exactly haven't uh, clicked uh, uh and you know set set the world on fire so i think big basket would be a great way for them to hold some sort of a marquee investment and uh, kind of become more visible in in the digital space and lastly uh, i think this clears the path for big basket to go public in maybe a couple of years so again people who have put in money later they will also be able to exit with decent profits so i think you know overall it's a it's a great thing uh, and it shows how the entire ecosystem is sort of maturing Yeah, absolutely, I couldn't have said it better. And also the the fact that you know you have the Tata brand name, right? The most trusted brand in India, uh, associated with the startup, right? Um, and and of course, I mean, for people who are listening, do check out the Hari Menon uh, thread on you know the the kind of challenges they faced early in the pandemic with uh, people quitting and you know how they recovered from that. Um, all right, moving on. India's external affairs minister S Jayashankar visited the US last week uh, reportedly the first official physical interaction has resulted in assurances from the Joe Biden administration on India's concerns over Afghanistan and the, and the Asia Pacific future steps also include further cementing India US relations through the quad and discussing China's aggressive behavior in the subcontinent uh, Ashish what are the implications of this trip in your opinion so um when the biden administration took over uh, indian relations with the us were widely seen close with the trump administration and the background of the personalities involved right so the, the assumption was that uh, pm modi and president trump enjoyed a good personal rapport so there were speculations that the relationship with the biden administration will, will be cold or they may have their own Uh, acts to grind in terms of treating india differently we we how the trump admin did uh, did did, uh, did so so uh, i think this visit was important because this was like you know while travel from india to us is otherwise banned for passengers right now given the ferocity of the second wave in india but uh, uh, em uh, mr jayshankar actually went there physically rather than having an online conversation so i think that was a good sign uh secretary blinken was not in the us when the minister landed in the us right he was in the middle east uh, so the the visit the, the the actual meeting with uh, secretary blinken happened towards the very end on the last day of the visit uh, the agenda of course was uh, 
I mean, the the stated agenda, of course, was around the whole vaccine availability with the with the with the uh, proposition that the unused vaccines in India, or sorry, in the in the US, can be given to given to India as an emergency measure. Uh, this has been stated before by the Biden administration, but uh, I think I, I guess there was no concrete breakthrough in this meeting. But at some point, uh, there'll be some some arrangement made uh, for US to supply, let's say, up to four or five crore vaccines to India. Uh, what what they will not be using. I mean, US has also stockpiled, for example, uh, AstraZeneca's vaccine, which is Covishield in India, despite not actually approving it uh, for for local use. Right. So they do genuinely have some stock which which can be uh, given away. Uh, they are of course holding on, assuming that there could be a third wave, so you know they may need a booster dose and stuff like that. So, so there's a there, there, there's a um, I mean that that conversation was probably the most critical one. But I think there's a lot of other factors also. So, for example, the U.S. troop pullback in Afghanistan, the role of India and in the in the regional uh, security situation, uh, the defense deals with the U.S. and the the prospects of uh, any sanctions if India's S-400 deal with Russia continues, which it seems to be continuing. The fact that Israel may see a regime change uh, soon. So a lot of those factors which uh, bother US and India jointly were probably on the table. Also, very interestingly, uh, EM Jayashankar had a conversation with the Hoover Institute, uh, which was anchored by HR McMaster, who was a national security advisor in the Trump administration for about a year. And uh, that was a very... Uh, uh, very very candid and a very very nice conversation actually it's uh, it's available on Hoover Institute's YouTube uh, channel so I would encourage those listening here to check that out it's a, it's a fifty odd minute conversation where uh, where uh, Mr Jayashankar was very clear about how uh, you know while while India had a very bad time tackling the second wave but at the same time uh, you know we we remained resolute through the process and how things scaled up uh, including. Uh, the, the 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 help which was offered by different countries so he mentioned all of that it was a very good very strong uh, message uh, which, which he gave so all in all uh, this seems like a good step forward from the visit of the defense secretary lloyd austin earlier i think we had talked about that also in one of the weeklies probably i think a few months ago and uh, climate and envoy uh, john kerry's visit to india right so i think uh, this, this seems like a uh, uh, like a step forward and uh, as long as U.S. remains committed to Quad, uh, we should be. I mean, the 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 bilateral relationship should stay strong. So, I think that is the key point at this stage. Right. Uh, the EU, Australia, Japan, and the United States are seeking a deeper probe uh, in terms of investigating the virus's origins. Uh, the U.S. appears to have taken the lead to fully investigate the origins of the virus. Uh, Apart from China, it has also criticized the World Health Organization, WHO, for not doing enough to determine the ground zero of the outbreak. A still classified U.S. intelligence report circulated during former President uh, Donald Trump's administration alleged that three Wuhan Institute of Virology researchers became so ill in November 19, November 2019 uh, that they sought uh, hospital care. Reportedly, uh, the safety standards of the Wuhan lab were also not enough to prevent a leakage of lab-developed uh, coronavirus. What's a, it seems like uh, the Nicholas Wade uh, article has opened the floodgates, right? I mean, uh, we're going to see plenty of uh, interesting stuff uh, coming out and hopefully uh, at some point China will be held accountable for all of that's happened. Yeah, I mean, the next three months I think will be interesting. But uh, I mean, the whole uh, theory that 
this virus originated in a lab uh, was uh, you know first started by senator tom cotton and even the trump administration uh, but they were kind of quickly shot down uh, there were researchers from china itself who were pointing out to the possibility of it being a lab virus as early as feb 2020 uh, but then scientists sort of condemned you know the conspiracy theories uh and then said it's impossible to prove whether the virus was man made or lab made and yes it is impossible to prove unless you probe it thoroughly uh then the intelligence report you refer to that kind of hinted of a leak but april 2020 was the first time that you know someone said that a gain of function research was being undertaken so at least theoretically it was kind of possible to create this kind of a virus in the lab uh and some other stories started coming in about how miners fell ill to a similar virus in 2012 and lot of information has been hidden right uh and uh, some of the more mainstream newspapers kind of have turned this year uh beat new york times or washington post and they have started saying that the lab leak theory is uh, more compelling but then again who came in and said that it was unlikely and i think uh, who has been wrong on coronavirus so often that uh, yeah i mean it, it's not even a joke anymore uh, so that's when you know the calls for a new investigation started uh, and you know this investigation is ongoing but i think you know more than all the details there are there are some things that i found interesting and i think we should keep in mind going ahead right first is that science shouldn't rely on consensus consensus and that's that's been a problem uh, be it you know climate change where we say that x percentage of scientists agree on something and that doesn't really matter because in science only one person has to be right and if he can prove that he is right he or she then it means you know you need to relook at the theory and then discard old theories right so there is no uh, relevance of credentialism or xyz said so that's why it's happened in science so which i think is something that has been missed in this case and we are looking at more you know that anthony fauci said this or tedros i think that's his name he said this instead of doing an investigation now that the investigation is ongoing the truth will come out uh the second thing that was interesting was uh, when anthony fauci said that uh, he really didn't know where the nih funding of the uh, wuhan institute of virology was going when he was pressed by uh, i think it was senator kennedy uh, during his deposition so it's a good thing that that funding has stopped uh, and i think there should be more pressure from the international community on china to release details of all the studies that are taking place there because it's uh, to me it's too much of a coincidence that a virus originated within you know one or two miles of the only sort of grade 4 uh, facility that studies viruses in china uh, that such a dangerous virus could kind of come out from within two miles of that it's too much of a coincidence right so this definitely needs investigation and it's great that we are moving in that direction yeah 
Uh, I'd highly encourage everyone to read the Nicholas Weir article. Very, very well written. Uh, he explains the science very well, and also I think the point that he makes that um, I mean people were too quick to move on from that uh, lab leak theory, right? Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, in some great news, India has recorded its highest ever FDI in inflow of uh, US uh, eighty-one point seven two billion dollars uh, in FY twenty-one. It is 10% higher as compared to the last financial year, 2019-2020, where it reached a value of uh, $74.39 billion. Uh, some reasons for this positive development include measures taken by the government of India on the fronts of foreign direct investment, uh, policy reforms, uh, investment facilitation, and ease of doing business. Uh, out of the top 10 countries, Saudi Arabia was the top investor uh, in terms of percentage increase uh, during FY21. It uh, invested 2,800 million something in comparison to 89 million reported in the previous financial year. Okay, that's a steep rise. Uh, Gujarat has had the highest inflow of FDI uh, at 37% uh, of the total. Uh, Ashish, uh, last week, I think we spoke about remittances this week uh, in terms of FDIs. Uh, all of this, you know, some sign of economic strength. Uh, yes, and also uh, very critically, the FDI has grown for sectors which are uh, manufacturing or production oriented in nature, right? So the best of the, I mean, of course, the computer hardware and software area always gets uh, attention in India. I mean, that, that's a stable sector for attracting FDI. But in general, this time, the, uh, the increase is also seen in infrastructure, in construction, uh, in uh, electrical equipment, electronics, and in pharmaceuticals, of course. So I think this is uh, quite quite heartening because the 10% rise in FDI uh, on a total basis, on an aggregate basis, has come uh, across a range of sectors. Even uh, for for pure equity flows, I mean FDI equals equity flow plus any reinvested earnings plus other capital which flows in. So even for the uh, pure equity flow, uh, which has gone up by 19% from 49 billion to 59 billion. Uh, even that uh, uh, increase has come uh, through a range of sectors. So all in all, pretty good news for India. Uh, apart from remittances being high, the GST collections uh, staying high. And I mean, we will come to know in two days time what was the collection for May, which is quite critical actually, because May saw the most severe lockdown in most states. So, uh, but I think some of the near term indicators seem fairly strong at this point, and uh, which, is, which is good compared to wave one where Q1 was a washout completely. Uh, let's hope that this in, in this financial year, Q1, of course, there'll be a dip in activity, but let's hope that it is not a full washout and we don't do a like a minus 23%, 24% dip, which we had uh, uh, yep. in, in the last year. All right. Uh, and finally, Prime Minister Modi has announced a fund for children who lost their parents to COVID. Uh, under the PM Cares for Children Benefits Program, the government will contribute through a specially designed scheme to create a corpus of 10 lakhs for each child. At the age of 23, the individual will be free to access these funds. School education will also be undertaken with primary options being uh, offered uh, uh, through Kendriya Vidyalaya. Costs such as uniforms, uh, textbooks, notebooks, uh, and so on will be covered by the fund. Uh, what's up? Uh, very generous uh, initiative. What do you think? I think I think it's a great thing. I think this was something that had been highlighted uh you know, on social media and uh, and by various observers and columnists as well, that, uh, you know, this time COVID has hit a much younger population. So parents of younger kids, uh, you know, have become victims and a lot of children who are kind of minors 
and you know in that age where they go to school or college have been affected deeply by this so very briefly there are four or five things that you know are covered in this uh, one is the corpus that you mentioned uh, then school education uh, in addition uh, they will also get health insurance under uh, ayushman bharat and higher education uh, also will be supported through uh, education loans and so on so uh, i think it's it's a great thing uh, there have been a lot of questions asked of pm cares itself and i think i hope a lot of them are addressed now because uh, initially it was used to procure ventilators and now it's being used for something that probably legislatively would take much longer right to get done and to be able to do it through all the states and so on would would probably take a year or two but the need is far more immediate so it's a it's a great initiative and i i do hope it succeeds all right and uh, that's a wrap uh, uh, from us here uh, so these were the news and events from the week that was uh, thank you again for all of the love and support that you continue to give us every week uh you know some interesting uh, comments and uh, uh you know clearly people really like the cancer detection episode uh found it very interesting right uh a couple of announcements before we wrap up uh, so one is that we are live on patreon uh, so you can choose to support us on patreon if required and uh, uh of course i mean this is aside from the youtube uh, join community uh, right uh, so the same plus and prime uh, uh, plans apply Uh, so you get premium only content on policy history so on and so forth you also get a chance to uh, uh, you know for ama sessions with our guests and panelists and also we have tons of other events and episodes uh, planned for premium subscribers so do check it out that's another uh, avenue for you to you know uh, engage with us and the big announcement uh, so going forward uh, from the 51st edition of the weekly we will be premium only i feel like we should play some ominous music at this part <laughs> so the bharatvarta weekly live stream will soon become premium subscribers only uh, from the 51st edition i think that's about 8 weeks away uh, or a couple of months away uh, will be premium only uh, the audio will still be available on podcast platforms uh, but uh, but you know we feel that the ama and the audience engagement is better on youtube and you know we should certainly offer it to our premium subscribers uh this will also help us invest more time and give back to our uh, supporters and uh, patrons of uh, the podcast uh so please do subscribe and uh, you know get your friends to uh, subscribe to our premium plans and uh, you can continue this uh, sunday morning ritual with me ashish and what's up ashish what's up any quick comments before we wrap so quite exciting uh, uh decision on our part right and we we did this wonderful 2 hour chat yesterday on clubhouse uh, i don't know if some of the folks here probably tuned in there but we were discussing about uh, various options of monetization plus the fact that uh different content needs to be catering to more specific types of audiences so this is a step in that direction where uh, the engagement on weekly anyway is well defined so that's that's it makes sense to keep it much more interactive this way uh yeah and uh, many more questions can be taken as well uh, through this route so that is one of the objectives and uh, we'll keep you posted on how this goes yeah absolutely and uh, again you know uh, uh, join our premium subscriptions on youtube and patreon and do pass it on to your friends as well all right thank you so much guys uh, do stay safe take care and until next time jai hind see you bye bye